Hey y'all, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, brought to you by The Minor Finery. I'm your host, Coburn Blair. This week, Kyle and I are talking about Young Thug's Slime Language 2, AJ Tracy's Flu Game, new music from Brockhampton, and what's next for the Mod Club. We hope you enjoy it. And if you like what you hear, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the show. All right, guys, I'm back here with my co-host, as always, Kyle Bodanis. Kyle, how are you doing today? Doing good. A little rainy uh, today. Uh, got out there for uh, hit the bag in the rain. It was really inspiring. I'm sure all the neighbors looking were also inspired by it. I'm a man of dedication and passion. Uh, it's good. We're doing good today. We're feeling good. That's good because Ontario is not doing good, but I'm glad that you are doing good. Ontario is just a dumpster fire. What you have to do is you got to create almost like a four foot uh, radius around yourself of trying to keep the bullshit out. Um, Yeah, I mean, at this point, we really don't know what the fuck our government is doing. And I mean, we're just going to go with it uh, because there's nothing else we can do unless you're going to start giving it to anti-mask protests. But they're also stupid. So we're just it's a lot of stupid happening. Yeah, like, um, I'm wondering about, like, you know, the validity of creating my own government and just kind of governing uh, myself through that. I have a question. What would you you call your currency? Oh, I I don't know. I haven't got that far yet. I'm just kind of, (laughs) you know, figuring out the hierarchy portions so far. If I'm going to be Supreme Emperor or... The Kobe's? Something. Yeah, I think that's not, that's not a bad name for the for the dollar. I do it like Bitcoin, where it's like divided into a hundred million. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna use it to launder money. Just launder <laughs> this. It's just the most elaborate. It's the most elaborate criminal organization coming out of fucking Symington. <laughs> yeah. So what what else has been uh, going on? What's 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 good? We got a lot of music to talk about this week. We all did some some a lot of listening actually. There's a ton of listening for this week ton of listening so it's another it's been another good music week i guess we should start it off to go in something music musically related let's talk about the mod club which you sent me a a frenzied text about last week yeah because like just looking at the arlo parks thing and then it was pointed out um, to me that it's going to be that that the new iteration of the mod club is called the Axis Club. It's in the same area, but the Arlo Parks is going to be playing there. And I'm like, wow, they kept it alive. But there is this like shroud of mystery around what the circumstances of that were. Yeah, I'm I'm like kind of surprised. Like it's so from my understanding, basically some savvy fans who were kind of watching tour schedules noted that a British singer and songwriter Arlo Parks had a Toronto tour date and. It, that tour included a stop at the former College Street venue known as the Mod Club. And then I think when people inquired, they said the concert venue at 722 College Street, formerly the Mod Club, will be reopening with a new name and this show will be happening. So that's really interesting that, you know, that's the way it gets leaked. Do you know anything? Have you heard of Axis? Like, do we know what this is? Is this like a kind of financial conglomerate? Is this something new? I don't I know no really what, what the ownership situation or if it's like a complete changing of hands or, I mean, I'm going to guess there's additional investors because the cash, I mean, the, the club is obviously cash strapped with what everything, with, with everything that's going on. So I would guess there would be a cash infusion, you know, for this about face to take place. I'm like super happy about it and that, I mean, I would love for it to have kept the name, but I'm glad it didn't just, you know, get relegated to, you know fucking condos or something like that or yeah. just you know what i mean yeah i'm also glad about that i was 
told there's like a weed store operating in there right now. I'm not sure. I haven't been down by there in a little while because of this, you know, incessant lockdown. I'll have to I'll have to do some investigating if there's a weed store there uh, just to see if that's on the up and up. I mean, there's weed stores everywhere, so I don't know if that one's going to be any more special than uh, <laughs> anything else. Good news. We got weed. Yeah. <laughs> So I feel like this is like pretty great news for, you know, Toronto concert fans, for the music community at large in the city. But do you think we're going to be seeing live shows by the fall? I mean, I hope so. I was hoping to see Dinosaur Jr. in September at the Danforth Music Hall, which I thought may have been a little bit of a premature concert sale. But at the end of the day, it's Dinosaur Jr. So the short answer is I don't know. I mean, even at this vaccination rate, it would make sense for it to be kind of ready to go. Like, even by, but like by the ev- fall. Everything just seems like, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's about to be May now. It just seems a little short-sighted with the way things are going. But, I think so. you know, yeah, maybe maybe things will get fixed, you know, magically overnight. You know, Doug Ford will figure it out. But I, I don't know. I don't think that I'm going to be in a concert venue by the fall. Like, I, like that makes, when no. the vaccines go out, are they going to just, like, you know, vaccination cards and you can go to a show? Is that... You know, what's I, gonna happen. I really don't know how they're going to administrate this and like what the effect on that is uh, what the effect on live music is going to be I'm hopeful just because you know it's really kind of getting to me as I look at these things and you know again this is the longest I've ever not and I'm sure you've ever not seen a show like since I was 11 so like it's wishful thinking, but at the end of the day, things are all sorts of fucked up right now. We're in kind of a shit storm. So are people getting it? Are they going to get it together? I don't know. But I mean, at this point, you know, there's other venues too that need to survive and we can't be losing them. Yeah. So I wonder too, if there's going to be, you know, there was like a kind of t-shirt initiative to support some venues, you know, giving them a, a revenue stream. I wonder if there's going to be more of that going forward or, you know, hopefully at some point we reinstate like online live stream shows. Cause I think that would be another good thing. I don't know how much revenue is going to bring into venues, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's interesting. Like, what do you think the venue situation is going to be going forward? Like where are we at now? Where do we stand with venues in the city? Well, I mean, before, even before the pandemic, you know, Terrell Morris, you mentioned it in the interview, you know, I had with him and he said in very direct terms, like the, the scene is lacking sp- uh, spaces and the Mod Club is one of those spaces and it's a great space and it's big enough to host a banger, but small enough to have a really great experience with a set amount of people. So like right now we're wondering, because I think the Dakota Tavern closed, like there's a bunch of places that just you know didn't survive and like the venue situation is pretty dire here and again Terrell Morris hit it right on the head with saying that there isn't a bunch of spaces and there is less and less spaces going as we move forward I mean like the mod club for me is you know I grew up with the original owner's son Mark Holmes from Platinum Blonde um, his son Justin and uh, this was like that was like my first experience going to a club like I went there underage at 18 and uh, you know they started out doing mod nights at Revival and they, like that's where I learned to spin records they did Britpop upstairs they did Soul in the Basement and for a young dude who's obsessed with music and living outside the city that was a really big thing and when they moved it to the mod club it was like this big thing I remember the opening night we watched Quadrophenia on the big screen and it was just this thing that you're supposed to feel in places 
in Toronto. You know what I mean? I know that is such a weird way of explaining it, but like these places are supposed to give you those kind of feelings and, uh, you know, immerse you, you know, in the art scene that you want to. So like right now, I think we're in a, in like a critical spot where, you know, the things that the government is doing aren't working. Some people aren't listening. Some of the, it's a combination of people aren't flat out, aren't listening. And uh, the other half is some of it is super fucking short sighted. And if we want live music in the city, to keep going and for this to be a hub of live music, then we don't need to lose any more venues. It severely limits the diversity, the diversity of the shows and the amount of people bringing in and the amount of artists coming in. Because also when you have a variety of venues too, like you can all of a sudden host different types of acts, right? So like if you just have large arena venues, then you're not getting some of the, you're not getting the weekend you know, ready to break out at the mod club. You know what I mean? Like, you're not getting those moments. So, it, it's very dangerous for just from the artistic profile of the city and for its soul in general. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think, you know, when things settle down more here, we're going to be kind of digging through the rubble and kind of taking stock of what's left. And I think more needs to be done right now by this government who's really bumbling to put together packages to save these venues and to just entrench how important these venues are to the city. Cause I think Toronto, you know, really wants to be music city. We have this like North by Northeast, whatever it is, you know, trying to be a rival to, or, or, you know, a sister act to South by Southwest, but we need to do a better job of, you know, actually kind of putting money behind that and allowing the music in the city to thrive and to have, you know, receptacles where we can go see an act in, of, you know, all different sizes and different genres and, you know, places that are actually still in the city or, you know, aren't all like either super far away or, or converted into condos. So I'm really happy to hear that the Mod Club will still be around in whatever new capacity it is. Do you think that they will be renovating it inside at all? Or do you like, I'm just wondering about this ownership group. I'm, very interested there's not a lot of information out there so i'm very curious i'm hoping they don't change the overall setup because i kind of love how like because you walk into the mod club you have you know up on the mezzanine and, and 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 uh you know there's lots of places to sit and chill there's bars it's really kind of cool up there but then on the floor you walk in bar on the left and then there's the the rows of tables like a la almost rat pack era on the right and i just kind of really like that setup i would assume that they would just because it's obviously filled with um british knickknacks and the uh you know and just the overall setup is is kind of that uh you know that british branding so i don't know if they're going to keep it maybe they will or they might do a rebrand on it i kind of love it the way it was so i'm hoping it stays somewhat the way it is but we'll see yeah uh, i think we yeah we're both on the same page there and I think that, you know, while we're on the conversation about British knickknacks, the Mod Club, let's take it to West London and talk about some music. Check in with uh, Ladbrook Grove's AJ Tracy. He's on back with his second album, tapping into Michael Jordan's infamous 1997 playoff game with an album called The Flu Game. So before we touch on the music, do we believe that MJ did in fact have the flu during that game in 1997. So the flu story is sketchy, especially as it unfolds in The Last Dance. 
I'm like, okay. Because what, what, what did he say? Like, a pizza came in late and it got him sick or some shit like that? Yeah, it seemed to allege that, like, you know, someone in the city had poisoned him. The, yeah, delivered the pizza that was tampered with to get him sick before the game, which is like a, you know, a cool story for a doc for sure. But I don't know how I feel about that. So how my, my question would be, like, how did they tamper? Like, did they just, like, leave it? Like, did they make it and then, like, leave it in the fucking, like, in the in the on the roof just to go bad? Like, how do you make someone sick without killing them? in that manner i like to be like that's where i'm kind of like this guy had the flu or maybe he's trying to say i don't know i don't know if it's one of these like mythical sports situations but you know obviously uh he put carl malone on ice which i'm there for every time and i love that as a concept for the album yeah i think it was a i think it's a really cool concept and especially like you know taking an aspect of, you know, what's largely sports culture, but, you know, specifically American sports culture, you know, we have a lot of Michael Jordan references. He's up there with the most referenced athletes for sure. And this album's kind of filled with basketball references. You know, he has a song about a Eurostep, his song called uh, Kuik, uh with Nav. And he kind of teased this album with a basketball style press conference that I thought was pretty genius. That the was really cool. There yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 I think, I think he's doing a lot of cool things on this. So I feel like on this album, you know, we're hearing him blend styles like very effortlessly. He's, you know, calling on collaborators from both sides of the pod. We have Mostak, we have Digga D, we have Nav, we have T-Pain, we have, you know, Kalani. Everyone's kind of on there. What did you think of the album? I really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, you know, like, independent artist, I had listened to his first album, it's pretty good. This one, I think, is a definite step up. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and it's weird because, and I we're going to get into this, but it, like, seems almost designed, and just from concept to just the output, to be for a more American audience, almost. And I don't know if it's just me listening to that who kind of interprets that. No, I think I think I kind of felt the same. Like I felt like this was more of a push to, you know, establish his fan base in the US and I know he's done tours over there and he's growing his base there a, a lot. I don't know that like independently he is up there with the most known about UK rappers in the states, but yeah. I think he's making that push and he's kind of trying to solidify himself there. And, you know, on this podcast, we'll talk about some of those other UK rappers who are known. But I, I like I like what he's doing here. I like that he's blending styles. He has stuff that's, you know, more drill leaning. He has stuff that sounds like, you know, kind of modern UK rap, which is, is, you know, the genre that he inhabits. He has stuff that I think is geared to American ears. But then he also has like the, the garage style single West 10 at the end of the album, which I thought was, you know, is some of the my favorite pockets that AJ Tracy sits in when he kind of does that stuff. He really has a a tactful approach to making music, and he also knows genres really well. So I think I've really appreciated that about this project. I'm going to ask you a question in terms of its garage influences. What do you? How do you feel about it compared to its predecessor? I mean, I think he kind of like is able to touch on it in each albums in different ways like i think the song titled labrick grove over his um neighborhood in west london i think is one of his best songs 
I feel like him and, and Dave is two contemporaries who've collaborated a lot and kind of come up together. They both are able to kind of give flashes and pull back to their roots in the in the UK music scene. You know, AJ Tracy's also good at touching on grime, but he does everything, you know, in little spurts, but also keeping everything contemporary, which I think is, you know, his biggest asset. Yeah, I definitely agree. So do you think that, you know, we'll see him kind of make that major label jump at this point? Or is he doing okay, you know, independently? He brags about, you know, 500 million streams uh, in the last couple of years. He's doing fairly well. I'm sure he has, like, a good booking agent and everything. And I'm, I'm he's will be on a lot of tours and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if he needs that, you know, major cosign to finally establish himself like outside of England like in the US in the North American market well I think that's just what it is is if the goal is to establish himself in the North American market and that's something he is like cognizantly trying to do then I think you have to at the very least go like with like a major distributor because like it's a big operation trying to do that you know what i mean like you like you need people to i mean because it's it'll take a whole press offensive and it's funny because like this album has exactly what you would need in order to do that i mean you're playing on american sport sports lore i would say that the album like if you listen to someone like gets or you know and new new people like pasalu that it's more rooted in their influences, I think. I think, like, the way the beats are laid out in this are, like, more... It's more susceptible to an American ear, I think, and the way they listen to hip-hop and the way they consume hip-hop. But I think you have to, if you're going to go across the pond, is get some major backing, at least to, like, you know, handle press and get things out there. But at, but from a, you know, quality of music sense and exposure, you know from a streaming service, I think he's doing great and doesn't have to do it. It just depends on what your overall, like what your overall goals are. I mean, that's what it really comes down to is what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. And I I think that he is obviously, you know, trying to make that push and I think he's doing it well. I like that he got, you know, day trip to produce the garage influence song on here, because I think that's a really cool, like kind of flip. He has, you know, they are famous for, like, their beats with Little Nas X and, you know, everyone pretty much in the industry the last couple of years. I think he picked his features really smart on this, too. Yeah. I am definitely not not a Nav fan by any, like, means. Don't really like him at all. But he's on here. I think the T-Pain feature is really smart. I like Saw Baby on here as well. Um, yeah. I really like Digga D. I like what, where he's pulling from on here. I think this is you know a good push from him i definitely want to see a little bit more introspection i think you know going forward from him he starts to touch on his mother's illness a little bit on here and i know he kind of had a hard year during the pandemic so i think like i would like to see a little bit more growth from him on a next project and it's funny because the t-pain because when you're looking at like whether or not you're trying to line it up for an american audience like the t-pain 
uh, involvement and then, you know, the day trip involvement as well. And it's funny, the day trip on the most, probably the most British sounding quote unquote song on the whole album, or at least meant to be, it kind of balances it out. And I think that was like a very specific, it's like, if we're going to go full garage, then we're going to try to balance it out with more like American production style. Cause I think there's like an like a real obvious difference and like i just think it was a really smart way of organizing it and it might be almost like a blueprint of a way to think about it where if you're dealing with more you know things that are de- de- derived from more european or british influences but then you know looking for something from to pro- someone to produce it with a more mainstream american sound yeah yeah and like i think the majority of the production like it was executive produced by nige who's like a very very capable producer in london has done a lot of the sounds out there like the production i think is is handled well for its intention and i think this is an album that where you can like kind of just look at the cover look at the references and you know what the aim is here mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I'm gonna be interested because i think uh nicholas tyrell has a piece coming out about this album or an, an interview with him so I'm, I'm gonna be interested to read that and to get a little bit more in aj tracy's head um go, like what he was thinking you know coming into this album I mean, you should just always be reading Nicholas Terrell at this point. Yeah, definitely. So what, what would you put for your COG rating on, on this project? I really enjoyed it. I think there's room, like you're saying, for growth in the pen game, if anything. But like this is a second album. It's an independent release. And I'm giving it a solid seven. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was thinking, too. Um, I'm going to give it also seven COGs. I think it's it's a solid project. I think there's a lot of room for him to grow and level up because I think he has a very high ceiling. So I'm interested to see where he goes next. And I hope this kind of, you know, helps get him there and uh, helps make a mark. So I think, like, let's take it back stateside. Let's visit in with Alandis Empensario, Young Thug, and let's talk about the Young Stoner Life Slime Language 2 album that just came out. So it's a compilation project from Young Thug and his record label. This is their second label compilation, first being Slime Language 1 in 2018, where we have features here from Drake, Travis Scott, Little Uzi Vert, Kid Cudi, Big Sean, Little Baby, Meek Mill, Future, Rowdy Rebel, Lokeed Nav, Skepta. Like, everybody's on this album. I just got tired reading all those names myself yeah there's a lot there's a lot on here there's a lot to process what do you think of this album i mean i'm not the biggest young thug fan but i like i enjoy like i generally enjoy this album i it, it kind of reminded me the way it's set up like a dreamville um compilation album like a dreamville album like that was kind of really what it kind of reminded me of um and stuff like you know or like even further back in the day like uh cash money no limit like that kind of shit but like i enjoyed it i thought there was some really good stuff on it like i i mean everybody's on it i i feel the big thing is it's there's something for everybody on it to an extent i mean you get the I mean, you get the future, you get the, I, I really enjoyed the Drake uh, feature on it as well. Uh, solid. I think if, if, if my only overall criticism would be it's super fucking busy and there is way too many tracks. And I think that dilutes it a bit because there's some really good stuff on it. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of indiv- individual moments of brilliance. I think this, you know, being a compilation album feels like, like you know when you're watching a sports team that has a lot of really good players but a bad coach so yeah you're kind of waiting a good to see like you know yeah so there's a lot of like sparks and like you know this is an album that i think 
is also perfectly geared for the situation that we're in right now with streaming where individual songs from this album can live in multiple playlists and they will get streamed and there will be you know songs that kind of stand out at the end of this but i think as a whole it's hard to judge it as an album because it's you know very disjointed and you know it's just giving you a lot i feel like by the time i got to the end of this album and went back to play it again i had forgotten where certain songs were i've forgotten where certain features were and i found myself listening to this album being like is that big sean that i'm hearing or what like i I kind of didn't know what was going on after a certain time it's very chaotic and then i think that's the problem is is that i like i'm finding good songs on it that i enjoy so when you know when i was listening to it the first time I wasn't like, this is cohesive and everything made sense going from one track to the other. But, you know, every other track, I'd be like, oh, that's a cool one. Oh, that's that feature. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that works well with this and vice versa. So what were some of your favorite songs on this? Uh, Definitely, uh, probably my favorite one on it is Solid, uh, the Drake feature. Cayman Saw was actually good with Rowdy Rebel as well. I really, I really like that one. Yeah, it was really good. It was, it was really fucking cool. Uh, I like, uh, Walkstar with, uh, Skepta was really good. And, um, you know, uh, there's the fucking, uh, what was the Meek Mill one called? That Go. That was really good. Like, as I said, there's like little things on this that are good like i didn't but like songs i didn't like i didn't like fucking pots and pans with the infamous nav on it um you know and there was and i thought like i guess like with the with the future feature i'm kind of like it's like it doesn't line up because there's no like diversity in what's coming out you know what i mean it's like auto-tune on auto-tune on auto-tune and i'm just eh. but there is i mean there's good stuff here but i mean those were the tracks that kind of really stood out to me like i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be playing that drake uh the solid uh the drake feature as well and then came and saw as i said it was really good i think those are things that will make it onto playlists that i put together or you know like i like them and they'll they'll come on randomly in my in my spotify rotation but this is like super thick i i think is the problem you know what i mean you can't it's unfocused i guess would be the big thing yeah i I, I think i would agree like i think for me like i like the skepta i really liked uh kate cuddy's inclusion on here on moon Moon man drake drake feature was obviously really good and then i feel like the rowdy rebel and then i feel like there was a few songs that like i i found myself liking i couldn't tell you who was on them always and i couldn't tell you you know what they were called off the top but i think like this is an album that like i could put on and like kind of skip through it Again, yeah. I think that would be probably like the way I listen to it going forward. But yeah, like there's a few songs on here. I, I think I'll, I'll be, you know, kind of keeping with me throughout the year. And then the rest of this is going to be kind of B-side records to me. So do you think this is still like a good way to like, you know, showcase a label or build a fan base for lesser known artists when you have like a lot of people in the room? Like, I, I wonder what the sessions were like for for this album. I'm curious. I think that sometimes the way this album is set up, though, it kind of works against featuring people. Because like you were saying, where, okay, so if you're a young artist and you're on this album and it's fucking awesome, you know, you're working with Young Thug and there's all these other, you know, current luminaries on it. As you were saying, sometimes you forget who's on it and you don't know who's on it. You can get lost in the mix, right? So for me if you wanted to create something that gave people a little bit more exposure, I would reduce the track count and like just try to focus in on a smaller group of the personnel, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think I would agree there. I think like, you know, I kind of found myself walking away from this album and thinking that this is like a real callback to, you know, the Southern rap scene of the early 90s, sorry, like mid 90s and late, late 90s and early 2000s with like the big cash money albums we got, the big no limit albums we got, just a very big crew rap album. And I think that maybe has a place again now, especially with streaming, that it's like viable. You know, you're not selling these out of the trunk of your car anymore. You can kind of have some big names on there and get people to click on it and listen. Um, And I think that's an interesting angle to do in like this day and age, because I think where this differs from the Dreamville album is that album felt very focused and very cohesive and felt like they kind of all sat together and were like, this is a vision for an album. And like we got that from the Dreamville sessions, you know, the press coverage we got from it kind of spoke to that. Where this kind of seems like, you know, they probably have a home studio or a couple home studios or doing a lot of sessions and just started pulling tracks together um, that they thought might fit. And that's how kind of this album made it out. Yeah. Yeah. See, the thing is with like with the Dreamville, like uh, you and me have said it on this podcast, like no matter what you're thinking about J. Cole individually, like he's an example of a good coach. And I think that what he's done with the Dreamville albums, like if you listen to a sound, uh, sorry, a song called uh, Down Bad, like everyone gets their little thing on it. They get to kind of express themselves and have a memorable moment. And I think the problem with this is the moments aren't memorable because there's so fucking many of them. And like the thing with, you know, with these, with streaming services and, uh, you know, like Spotify is that like, there's no limit on the amount of content you can put out. So it's like, instead of doing one big thing like this, maybe like, you know, do smaller, more smaller releases to kind of give people their due. Because if you're trying to like perpetuate all these younger artists, which from a business sense and an artistic sense is like what you got to do, then I think it just needs to be a little more, again, as you were saying, like a little bit more focused. Yeah, I would love to see some visuals and and, and kind of just get a little bit more um, acclimatized to like how this album happened or you know get to see them all together kind of performing i really like the cover art i like seeing all the faces on there you know young thug has has kept his sisters you know around him and you know they both have verses on this album i'm interested to see you know where it kind of goes i don't know how i feel about like the label as a whole because i don't really kind of understand it yet not that like i need to but i'm a big young thug fan and i would love to kind of care more about his label side of things i feel like he's just kind of kind of finally figured things out like where his he's starting to kind of show up on the billboard sales now he's been really influential for a long time in music and i think music is kind of catching up to him now i'm interested to see kind of where he heads next um because he is also like someone who's makes a lot of music at all times so you know gonna on YSL has kind of, you know, become the clear leader of the label as far as like signed artists go. And he's making a lot of noise with little baby and everybody. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who becomes the next kind of prominent star out, out of the the camp. Yeah. I, I think there's all the opportunity in the world and influence there to, to, to really produce good artists. Just a matter of, you know, 
focusing it and understanding the business model a little more. So what would you give this on our patented cog rating scale? There's tracks I really like on it, but it's just not cohesive, and I'm probably going to give it a 5.5. Yeah, I think this album is a lot to take in at once. I think I'm going to give it some more time. It'll be something that I'd like to drive around to or play on shuffle a little bit more. I think it's probably going to sit at a 6.5 for me. I would I would have liked a few more standout moments from some of the lesser known acts on it, I think. Yeah, because then you can introduce... And I think that's an issue... That That's a big issue because, you know, you want to get turned on to new music and new people. And if Young Thug is is vouching for them, then obviously they have some cachet, you know? So I want to hear more. I want to know more about them. I want to experience what they're doing. So while we're, you know, focusing on large groups, let's get into Brock Hampton, the Texas-based boy band, drops their sixth studio album called Roadrunner. Um, so on January 2nd of this year, Kevin Abstract teased Buzzcut as a lead single to their um, album. Um, and the single ended up debuting in late March featuring Detroit rapper Danny Brown. What do you think of the single? I love this single. I really like this track. Da- I mean, I like Danny Brown. He just adds like a different energy to it. And this is like this. It's really good for coming out of the gate in this album. And, you know, I think the video is a little intense. I think I maybe was too high to watch it when I watched it. I'm like, what am I fucking watching? But the song is great. It's a really good way. It's a really good opening track. Yeah, I thought it was a. I thought it was really interesting to use this the single as an opening track. It worked really well for me on this album. I kind of liked. It felt like the energy of the album was kind of like loaded front heavy. Yeah, so there was a 100%. lot of like energy energy on the front, and then it kind of like mellowed out by the time we got to the to the end of it. I thought the video was really great, really trippy. I'm really happy to see Danny Brown still around, you know, years later after the kind of blog um, love that he had early on. You know, he's got his teeth fixed. I kind of want him to start to receive a little bit more flowers because I think he makes really good music and I would love for him to kind of, you know, get another moment in the spotlight. Yeah, he's good. He adds energy to tracks too. I, I fucking love his features and his records are good too. So this album features some interesting acts. You know, obviously we touched on Danny Brown there. There's also, you know, two ASAP Bob features. Um, we also have some lesser known acts, you know, acts that we talk about on the show, like JPEG Mafia. What did you think of the use of features on here? You know, especially in contrasting to the album we just talked about. I thought these were really great features. Uh, the opening track comes right out of the gate with Danny Brown. JPEG Mafia was a good choice too. And it gives, like the first two tracks give this album an immediate edge. And kind of, you know, and then you, you know you're tossing an ASAP mob on track four. And, you know, it really makes a statement about what this album is going to be. And I think, you know, it, it, for the most part, that album fulfills the promise that these opening tracks and these features do. And it was just really, really, really well chosen. And I, I, to be very honest with you, like, I mean, there's the, uh, there's the Charlie Wilson as well. And uh, there wasn't too many, but the ones that they chose were just so well chosen and enriched the whole, you know, listening experience to this. Yeah. I think it's interesting as a band to do features because you have, you know, members that are also, you know, part of the, the music uh, creation so it's interesting to like be like okay we're gonna put somebody else here and either shorten the track or kind of change the way we, we lay things out so you have to be really smart about it and I think they did a really good job on this album I'm not like the biggest 
Brockhampton fan. Like I've known about them for a long time, you know, kind of like tuning in here and there. So this album really, you know, kind of grabbed me in a way that I didn't really expect it to. Um, so what tracks for you stood out on this album? Well, I completely agree first off about the, just, you know, the thought, like I'm not into much of Brockhampton's previous work. That's no slight to them and their talent. It's just not my kind of situation. But this is this was I enjoyed quite a bit actually, and there's a lot of stuff I enjoyed on. Again, Buzz Cut and Chain On, JPEG Mafia is great on this. Chain On was really good. Um, Bankroll was fucking incredible. I like Don't Shoot Up the Party as well. Like this was like there was a lot of really good moments on this album, and like they didn't overload it too. It was just 13 songs. They didn't try to do too much. They know they they brought people in to add something that maybe their sound doesn't have, and I was just really into like they again they front loaded the energy on it. I thought there was some good tracks after that, but the first four tracks on this hit me hard, and I really enjoyed them. Yeah, I think for me, I really liked I liked the second half of the album. I wouldn't say more. I think it just kind of spoke to me, mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at right now, just in terms of energy. I will be kind of going back to this album and revisiting it. I like the use of there was like a small part of ASAP Rocky on Count on Me, um, and then he kind of comes in with with ASAP Ferg on Bankroll. Mm-hmm. I thought the album was just really well sequenced and really well built, and just I love the instrumentation and the production on here as well. It was a really surprise. It was a big surprise for me listening to it. I didn't expect to like it this much. So Brockhampton, like you know, for years has kind of stood by that mantra as you know the best boy band since One Direction. I feel like they previously kind of made an effort to change the way uh, boy band was thought of, you know, and looked at, and and the notions that kind of are associated with it. So how do you think that they've kind of done this? They're mentioning too that you know this is going to be some of the last albums from them. They're kind of put out another one this year. What do we think of their kind of legacy in that space? I don't know why. I mean, listening to their previous music, I can see why they label themselves as a boy band. But the problem when you're living, limiting, you know, when you're identifying yourself as a boy band is that it comes with a certain amount of baggage to it that people have an immediate perception of it. And that even kind of colored my about to listen to this album. I'm like, okay, well, what are these guys going to do? I didn't really like too much of the other stuff previously. So, like, it adds a weight that I think brings down the music when, like, they there is a definite, you know, there's a definite um, potential to put out some really good stuff, and they've done it here. How, what their legacy will be, I'm, uh, to be very honest with you, I, I, I really can't say right now because I think they're only really starting to hit their stride right now. Like, this is... Like, uh, do you think a previous album by them is better than this? I mean, I haven't sat with their old albums as much. Uh, what was it? Saturation, I think, is really good. They've given us, like, you know, different series. I think they're making really, really good music right now. I'd probably have to go back to compare this album and contrast it a bit. I really do think it's interesting to, to take the term boy band and to kind of warp it in the way that they did. And I think That's that... True, yeah. In, in the pop lexicon, when we think of boy bands, we think of very white kind of pop and like one kind of look. So I think that, you know, them being, you know, multiracial, like Kevin Abstract is gay and they kind of 
just kind of challenged the notion by kind of calling themselves that. And I think that's really interesting. And I know that they have a really big fan base, you know, as big as some of the other boy boy bands, you know? So I think to hear that, you know, Kevin Abstract got kind of tired of calling it that probably because of the connotations that are associated with it. Yeah. You know, that fits and that tracks to me. You can but only I think play a marketing something... ploy so much. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. marketing direction so much. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, like, you know, it kind of comes with the territory, but I think there is something to be said for what he was trying to do there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of disappointing to me that, you know, they're talking about kind of finishing the project, but I think that when you work with so many people, your lives start to go in different directions and, you know, things change. Yeah. You know, we've had some solo stuff from Kevin, and I'm sure there's a lot more opportunities. We, we watch this happen, you know, like, they always kind of tracked with me to odd future and that's probably you know eras and they kind of felt like when i was you know kind of getting into odd future they felt the same when i started looking at brockhampton Mm -hmm. so i don't know how apt those comparisons are but you know we watch odd future kind of break up in the same way i think it's really hard to you know wrangle that many people into making you know focused music as a collective no absolutely i think that the way the only real way to make it work is to give a little you know to give some space for individual expression and stuff kind of like with Wu-Tang Clan where there was you know individual ideas that needed to be expressed and they turned into really classic albums I think that maybe they were a little more tightly knit at the very beginning than um, Odd Future because Odd Future I think I always felt there was inevitability for them to kind of like spread out but Listen, if you have this many talented people with different lives and different modes of expression, then it becomes different too. You know what I mean? Because like for Kevin the Abstract, you know, how is he expressing being gay in his in his music, right? And that may not be able to he may not be able to express himself in the way that he would like to as he could with a solo artist in this thing where he's also considering other people's modes of expression as well. Like ba- like bands and groups get crowded, so the fact that you're able to put together this long, keep it together this long is impressive. But at the end of the day, it's like, you're, I, I, I kind of want to see what else they're going to do because they're hitting this stride. And like, this is a Brockhampton album I can listen to and people should listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what the next album is going to be like, you know, I think two albums in one year is very, it's like, it's a, it's a lot. It is. But I guess for a band, it kind of changes, you know, the creation process and you can kind of make albums either, you know, together in one chunk. So maybe this this next album will sound a lot like this album with, you know, differences on it or, you know, maybe it's it'll be in a completely different direction. So I'm interested to see, you know, kind of what goes on next with them. What did you think about the themes on this album? You know, Joba's father's suicide is touched on here. Uh, Kevin also mentions like, you know, sexuality is, is touched on here a little bit. What do you think about, you know, the topics and the themes? Well, I thought they were unabashed about things that were going on in their lives and things that were affecting them. And this is kind of why, as I just said, like why they may not be able to stay together as a group because there is such expression here. And, you know, they're not just, you know, they're just not belting out singles they're actually trying to say something with their music and that probably goes to what he was trying to say 
when he was, you know, saying best boy band since One Direction, that they're they're trying to subvert that idea and that this is music of substance and they're trying to express something. And I like even in previous work that maybe sonically I didn't enjoy, there was, you know, always some of this idea of of talking about what's going on in their lives and being unabashed about what's happening to them. And that's something to be respected. I like that they went into this and I think that it keeps when you're going into stuff that isn't, you know, that is uncomfortable, like it, it keeps an edge on the music. And I think that's kind of what separates this from the rest of their work. Yeah. I think there's, there's something that, about them to me, which is really cool just in terms of what you were talking about before with expression. Cause they're, making really artful music. And like you said, they're not just releasing singles, but they're doing it within the major label system. And people really care about what it is that they're doing. And I don't think there's too many groups that are out there doing doing it like them with the same amount of quality and the same amount of intention in their creativity. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's about, it's about intention. Like the music isn't vapid. Like there's, like it, 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 there's a point to his, in its existence and a place for it. And people, and there's, and you know, good music can help people when it, when it really kind of dives into social ideas and stuff like that. And it's good that they're like that they're using this vehicle for that. I think, yeah, I definitely agree on that. So with all that said, you know, we talked a lot about the album, where will you place it on our COG rating system? I'm giving this a 7.5. I liked it. It was quite good. Yeah. I think I'll, I think I'll join you on that one. I think I'm going to also give it a 7.5. I'm really interested to see where they go next on it. And I'm really liking, you know, what I've seen from them and yeah, we'll definitely be kind of talking about the next album. I think, uh, yeah, I'm hoping like, I'm hoping it's more of this. I'm hoping, you know, it's just, it, it takes it a step further. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, absolutely. It was fantastic. Definitely look forward to talking about music with you again soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will be back. 